0: cast one in three women are going to experience some form of physical abuse physical or sexual abuse in our country which is horrifying yeah and oftentimes we don't think enough about men that one in four men will experience emotional abuse similar to one in four women so when you parse out just the physical intimidation and threatening forms of abuse
1: Welcome to the Liberated Healer Podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your hosts, Gina and Linnea, offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Hi, everybody. My name is Gina Cavalier, and this is the Liberated Healer Podcast thank you for being with us today. And um, today we are going into kind of a little bit of a different area. Um, we have Dr. Amelia Kelly on, and she is a co-author of What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship. <laughs> Huge, important topic. And um, thank you for being here today.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, I know that's a heavy subject matter, but there's always healing. And, and um, you know, especially somebody with your background who can help a, other people going through similar situations maybe find the strength that they can heal. And that's why we're here. So, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and your journey and what led you to this book?
0: Absolutely. So, I have been a therapist now for about 18 years. And in the last, I'd say, decade, my work started to gear more towards trauma work and specifically working with survivors of domestic violence. And I have a private practice here in Cary, North Carolina, and we see myriad of individuals, but I specifically work with trauma, highly sensitives, and just that kind of complex PTSD that we can carry over from relationships. Um, My work is very body-centered. I'm an art Mm -hmm. therapist by trade. I am a yoga teacher, meditation teacher. Um, Anything that can kind of get the body involved is really important to me. Um, And in that work, I was doing an episode on a podcast called High Heels and Heartache with my future co-author about how trauma impacts the body. And at the end of our episode, I was walking out and just looked at her and kind of just mentioned, "Have you ever thought of writing a book about all this amazing stuff you're learning?" And it was one of those serendipitous light bulb moments. And we thought, "Yeah, let's do this." And that's, <gasps> that's where the book was born.
1: Oh wow! I love it when those things come together. Mm-hmm. And i I really uh, applaud therapists in that in your space where you do your traditional training mm-hmm. and then you just want to add the tools, you know, and you're open to other tool and modalities because every human is different. And now you can kind of say, well, yeah, that might not be for you, but this one really could, you know what I mean? And right. so I don't think that is, um, was very popular until maybe the, you know, recently.
0: I would agree.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what does other therapists say when, you know, do they applaud you for that? Are they? Is it getting more popular?
0: I think so. Um, you know, something that is interesting. Just owning my own practice, I hire folks to work for me all the time, and it's a question that I often ask them. You know, kind of what is your trauma approach? And I have to say, if someone comes in and says they stay very cognitive, very psychodynamic, meaning you're just rehashing past over and over it doesn't feel like a good fit because from what I know, you can't unknow it. You know, you can't yeah. unknow the amazing impact the body can have on healing. And it's really where trauma and these experiences that we have in our life are stored.
1: So. I'm really interested to hear how you guys co-authored this. What that what she must have got a lot of amazing therapy out of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Because um you guys had to sit together a lot a long time, right?
0: It was, I mean, the, the process was very interesting because we started pre-COVID. Okay. And so the beginning started us in a coffee shop together, you know, outlining how we were going to do this. And at first, actually, it was going to just be kind of more of an exploration of the different things that she's learned in her work and kind of my take on that. But then she decided to jump in and go straight for it and tell her survivor story and that's what sets our book apart is that it's a memoir that is interwoven with self-help. So, yeah, so every chapter she tells her story beginning middle and end and then I kind of press the pause button with the reader and say based on what's happening, this is what you personally can look out for and what you can protect yourself from. And then she just goes back in totally raw, totally authentic, and says, these are the things I didn't know. And this is what I know now after reading what Dr. Kelly had said. So it's almost like this three-way dynamic conversation between us and the reader, which we really love. Um, So that's how we wrote it. So she would tell her story. She would hand me her portion. I would respond. I would hand it back. And then she would respond. So, what you're reading was literally the flow and the process of how it was written.
1: Wow, it's like a live therapist exploration with their client, in a way, uh, of how to, and and how the process works and how everybody can use that process to heal themselves through, because trauma is so, you know, similar. I, I've noticed, you know, even though the stories are different, but they're they can be kind of coupled very similar to each person, you know?
0: Yeah. I would. Yeah. Yeah. I think the word that comes to mind to me is universal. Yeah. Um, Just because, you know, because each story is so different and because the, each person is so different, the way that you're going to heal and process will differ. Um, And I, and I do just want to put this out there for anyone listening. Um, I was not my my co-author's therapist. Yeah. I was a oh, okay. "Therapist, she had done all of her therapy on her own pre us working together." Okay. Um which was really amazing because I get to work with people normally when they're in the trenches of getting out or recovering and it was pretty incredible seeing someone who had kind of already integrated their trauma story and started making changes for other folks
1: okay great
0: but that doesn't mean that along the way there weren't some really cathartic moments where even though she had done all the work she had done there was something brand new that she learned or something new that she experienced so worse yeah yeah putting
1: it to paper like that in that grand of a way i'm sure wow what a great experience so Can you um, talk a little bit about statistics and physical abuse and relationships? Um, You you sent me a few things that were quite astounding.
0: I know, I know. So it's the statistic, and this is, let me just put this out there. This was pre-COVID, Okay. these statistics were generated. So one in three women are going to experience some form of physical abuse, physical or sexual abuse in our country, which is horrifying. Yeah. And oftentimes we don't think enough about men that one in four men will experience emotional abuse similar to one in four women. So when you parse out just the physical intimidation and threatening forms of abuse, it actually is the same for men and women.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's not something people like just talked about too often, mm-hmm. Um especially... Wow. That's, that's pretty incredible. Um, wow. So, um, how emotional abuse is almost like you, okay. So it's almost equal for the genders. Um, wow. Do you get a lot of, um, males? Well, when I'm sorry, I'm kind of stumbling in my words, but what I'm picking up is those statistics, I find that men would have a hard time admitting that over maybe right. So. Well,
0: yes. I mean, there certainly is a stigma um, when it comes to masculinity and toxic masculinity, even, and being able to be vulnerable and admit that you've experienced something like this. Look yeah. at me. <laughs> um, so, it's the thing of it is, is that that's that's honestly my whole mission is uh-huh. normalizing this conversation, having this be something that we openly discuss and that we bring attention to because it reduces the chance that someone's going to stay longer in these kinds of relationships. Um, And, you know, you brought up emotional abuse when you were reflecting Mm -hmm. on those ratios. Something that is so important to realize is that emotional abuse is just as damaging as physical abuse. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: For so many reasons, and just on a scientific level, interestingly, there have been studies done that have examined the impact of emotional neglect and heartbreak versus physical um, physical harm, and the same exact area of the brain lights up similarly for either.
1: You know, I definitely, yeah, I mean, almost physical abuse. It, it, once it's healed you know, the, the actual uh, area that was abused, you know, it's, it, it's it's gone, but you have that emotional stuck in your body, the physical abuse. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So how, how do you become empowered um, after an abusive relationship then?
0: Well, you know, I think first of it is things like open conversation, being in community, being able to co-regulate with other people, Um, and co-regulation, meaning that when, when I am talking to you, even we're co-regulating, you know, I'm, I'm watching you, you're smiling in response to what I'm saying. You're affirming, I'm affirming you. We're, we're telling one another we're safe, that it's okay to be expressive. And for someone who has experienced abuse and especially forms of, um, you know, forms of, Power and control being taken away from them, they start to, their brain and their bodies start to to struggle with knowing that people in general are safe.
1: Okay. So, Sorry. emotional abuse, would you say that typically, from what you've seen, is something that starts off really a, like a little at a time, and then it's almost like a grooming where it's just a little bit like, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And then it just kind of piles on top of it and it becomes threatening. Is that how that works? I'm, I honestly don't know too much about this area.
0: Well, I mean, normally that is how it would work, you know, and, and the word grooming, I think is a a good word to express this. It's, it's similar to how, not to be dramatic, but how cult leaders or, you know, people who have, high power over others, even politicians, um, Mm -hmm. can use to convince others that what they're saying is rational and that what you think is irrational. So you can't just do that right out of the gate. Most people are going to be able to signal or know that they're in some sort of danger. So if you just come out abusing and negative towards someone right off the bat, they're going to leave. Um, now, I will say someone who has experienced trauma before, it will probably take more of um, a danger or a red flag to throw them off enough to one leave. They might have a higher tolerance for stress and a higher tolerance for chaos, which is really dangerous. And it's something that's important to explore is, you know, those likelihoods of repeat trauma. And that's why informing yourself of what can happen after going through trauma is so crucial. Yeah. Um, but there's going to be a period where they lure you in. There's going to be a period where they're going to some common terms, love bombing, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to tell you all the right things, make you feel that, um, you know, they can, they can provide you everything that you need and everything you've ever wanted. And they see you. That is, such a common thing that I hear folks that are in abusive relationships say, they know me better than anyone else.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, So the person that's being abused, they feel that that's their confidant in a way or, okay. Mm-hmm. They, they feel know. seen, they
0: feel validated. And, but the thing of it is, is that these are nuggets. They're like little breadcrumbs that are left out to just keep you in that trauma or in that cycle of abuse that can turn into trauma, eventually there will be, and if you look at the trauma cycle, there will be a a rise of tension. And after the rise of tension is usually when some sort of explosion happens, and then it'll come back to apologies, um, repair, honeymoon, and then back to tension. So it just circles around and around. The reason this cycle is important for sustaining an abusive relationship. And remember, our goal is to get out. Yes. The reason it's important is because as humans, we respond to intermittent reward. Mm. You know, think of yes. you know, you're you're going gambling and you're like, just just one more dollar. I'm gonna I'm gonna win next time. We are so hooked and responsive to intermittent reward. It can feel exciting, it can feel almost like love would feel. Yeah. You know? And so if you're someone who is not used to having a secure attachment, this can also be very difficult to identify that what you're actually in is an abuse cycle versus something healthy and stable, which might not always feel quite as um, drawing or exciting,
1: and I'd like to comment that I think this can also happen not just in a love relationship. You can have this happen in a in a workplace.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: um, well, I kind of experienced that at one time, and it was really scary because that was my livelihood. And you know, it's it had I had a lot of the same types of feelings about right. you know. Mm-hmm is this really happening? And then they'd be like, Oh, I'm sorry. And you know, no, you know, you're doing great. And they, they would do the little bit of the rewards. And then it right. would do some, and it was behind closed doors. They close the door and have like a private conversation with you. And yeah, so there's definitely other, it doesn't have to just be a love relationship either. Oh, you're, I mean, you're
0: perfectly right. I mean, work relationships are a very common place where individuals are in a power role, that's that's the thing when there is a power dynamic and think about you know a lot of children they're in a power dynamic you know their parents have power over them and so that's what you want to try to avoid when you're getting into a relationship how do you sustain your boundaries and your emotional individuality so that there's not going to be that imbalance of power you know it's, it's it's false to think that things will be 50 50 all the time that's not realistic Yeah. The the give and take should should kind of be like a a gradual ebb and flow, not dramatic.
1: Yeah. It feels like it should be where everybody is their own individual and together you're just a little bit better, but you're not completely like entwined. That's kind of sound feels unhealthy where it's Mm -hmm. that one person has to go towards that other person's thing at all times.
0: Mm Mm-hmm
1: absolutely or, or become that other person like that other person the same things that they like or mm-hmm. become into them and then they i I'm, i can just assume that they become lost and um you know so what what are some ways that they can um if they're stuck feeling that they're in this kind of type of relationship or heading towards that what are some of the things that you recommend Well, first
0: and foremost, if you're willing to speak your mind to the person in a way where you're just voicing your concern, even just that alone, it's, you know, it's interesting because I don't think people realize the value in speaking up because the person that you're speaking to doesn't have to agree with you. They don't have to do the right thing in order to show you who they are and whether or not the relationship is good. So What I mean by that is if you approach a conflict with more of a kind of an inquisitive, curious, explorative modality, you're Hmm. saying, okay, how does this person react to me when I voice my opinion? And if they react in a positive, affirming way, even if they disagree with you, a conflict is a conflict, but you know, uh, A good example, it's funny when I first got together with my husband, um, I remember it was very early on. And I had said to him, you know, I really enjoy and value my friendships, especially with my girlfriends. And so if an opportunity comes up where I can go spend time with them, I'm going to take that opportunity. And, you know, if that is bothering you or that makes you feel like that's not a good fit, then let me know. You know, I kind of just put it out there. You know, this is who I am. And by his response, I was able to see if he was going to be someone who would allow me to have my individuality.
1: Hmm. And keep kind of keeping those lines in the sand a little bit, as in uh, if somebody starts to talk to you in a way that's not something that's resonating with you, you know, kind of maybe saying in a gentle way, like, you know, stop you know, can you speak to me in a way a little bit differently? We don't need to go there. I mean, Mm -hmm. really kind of trying to uh, see that what's happening and try to Mm -hmm. mitigate it as well.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm all for express. There's no, I tell my clients a lot. There's no perfect time to tell someone how you feel.
1: Mm, That's a good line. Yeah.
0: Right. There's no perfect time maybe barring a funeral. (laughs) So so maybe not confronting, you know, we really need to talk about a relationship. I'll give you that. that. But, you know, there's really no perfect time. And if you wait for the perfect time, you're, you're more likely to start to internalize your feelings, become resentful, um, potentially even have physical side effects of internalizing and repressing. And then also When you ruminate, and ruminate is kind of that hamster wheel that we go on for overthinking something, rumination is like that game telephone, but you're playing with yourself. Yes. Right? So the longer you ruminate, the more the story or the emotion can get skewed. And so it's hard to remember what your initial emotions were even.
1: And you're bringing in past experiences. So you're ruminating on one thing and then you're like, well, this keeps happening to me or something. Right. And now right. you're really piling on, on top, like mm-hmm. that one thing that happened when somebody said it, and then that other person said it. And now you're, right. now it becomes this big giant thing that you need to fix. Mm-hmm. And, and that become overwhelming. And that's when the, and all of a sudden all the trauma buttons start to go. Pop, 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 pop. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. And so, you know, the, the sooner you can express something, the less likely it's going to come with a lot of pressure too, you know, and I, I just constantly champion for being comfortable with healthy conflict. And this doesn't mean you have to nitpick and, and, you know, there is benefit to choosing your battles, especially if it's a chronic issue and you've been in a relationship for a long time. But if you feel unsafe going to your partner and even speaking your mind, that is a huge red flag to look out for. Huge. Mm-hmm.
1: So how about if uh, you see someone else that's in this situation, but mm-hmm. you're, you're like a third party and you're starting to recognize signs, what would you recommend as a good way to maybe approach your friend or loved one that mm-hmm. maybe this isn't super healthy? Mm-hmm. Because everybody has to, has to have their own process, right? Um, right, right. Right. It's like a big question mark on how do you do that? That's yeah. He likes to get in other people's business, but when you're, you have a little bit of a fear, like this could be going, cause we read these stories all of the time. Right. I see them in the paper every day, almost, you know, like somebody around them had to have noticed that there was um, something brewing. Mm -hmm. So,
0: that can be really tricky um, for so many reasons. First of all, you don't necessarily want to pressure someone to leave a, an unhealthy relationship. I sometimes compare it to trying to impress upon a friend or a loved one to quit smoking. You know, it's you should express yourself and you should tell them you're concerned, but the likelihood of them doing so on their, you know, with Without them wanting to do it is unlikely. That's similar with leaving an abusive relationship. However, being constantly present, constantly supporting your unique individual relationship is very powerful. So that can mean, um, you know, letting them know, you know, while I notice you've been a bit more distant now that you've gotten together with person X. You know, I'm concerned that I haven't seen you as much, but I really want to spend time with you. And just doing that consistently, because remember, one of the power and control methods is isolation.
1: Oh, yes.
0: Right. And so if you notice that your friend or loved one is starting to be more isolated, and we're not talking about the beginning where maybe they are with each other all the time, but it's gotten to the point where they're missing important events or they're not even kind of keeping up with your relationship, that's a less obvious and it almost seems less dangerous example of the fact that someone might be struggling. Um, but if you're noticing danger, actual danger occurring, I mean, I think aside from general support, I would give them, you know, resources. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny, but telling yeah. them about my book would be a yeah. really good start, you know, something that's non-judgmental that just says, Here are the things that might be happening in your relationship. What do you think? Yeah. You know?
1: Yes. Uh, I I have a, a friend that's going through a kind of a thing right now and mm-hmm. um the their partner really doesn't hit them, but they throw things at them a lot. And um when they get angry and yep. then that person when they're getting ready to think about leaving, um, they tell them that, you know, they're suicidal. So there's always like, there's some definitely create, you know, things happening there. So, um, again, because I do energy work and healing, um, I just put them out to both of them, not just one or the other. I said, Hey, you guys need a healing, you know, you guys want to come out because it's, I'm trying not to separate the two people, but you know, um, to say I only give it to my one friend, but I'm like, hey, if, there, if there's anything I can do to be supportive, yeah. Um, But you know, of course, that gives me a little knot in my stomach because um, I under, uh, I started this channel basically because I would I was basically suicidal um, through some of my uh, adulthood life, and I I got out of that through healing and mm-hmm. learning, meeting people like you, and things like that. So. Um, you know, when I heard that, here I really started this platform to help people to be, an, a, a, you know, for, to be a resource for that's things like, yeah, but yeah. specifically for people who are suicide because that's um, preventable <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. you know, um, okay. So I guess another, we, we talked about how men have a, a little bit harder time to maybe kind of express themselves. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to go a little bit into that because a, I a lot of the healing modalities and the people I interview, there's just such a bigger pie of women who are willing to talk about it and willing to show up and willing to, right. so um, how do we support, I guess, I mean, maybe we've already talked about it a little bit, but how do you support a male who is maybe going through something like that mm-hmm. or. Or how do, you, how do you address when you have a client who is male, who's maybe in this situation and doesn't feel like they, they have a voice or can talk? They're kind of shut off. Right.
0: Well, I mean, first of all, I would normalize and remind, if we're talking about one of my clients, how this is way more common than is shared and that there is a voice out there, there are there are support groups, there are online groups, and we can maybe reference some of them in the notes right. that are there that talk about this. So that's, you know, the first thing is that this is not abnormal. And if anything, by being witness to what you're experiencing and what you're going through makes you so much braver. And it then perpetuates the ability for others to talk about when they go through something like this, because if we don't talk about it, no one knows.
1: Yeah. Man, I just want to send a big hug out to anybody who's experienced any of this right now. And I know that you know, we, we come into this world with like love and compassion and hope. And through our traumas, a lot of times we become mm-hmm. these other people that we never meant to be, and you know even the people that are the abusers, you know, they're, you know, this is not usually the life that they have chosen for themselves, you know? Um, so, you know, coming together, building community, helping each other, being a voice to, you know, showing up for people sometimes in silence, I guess is what I'm getting. Sometimes just, you know, being that consistent person, Hey, how are you? What's, what's going on and things like that. Yeah. So, can you tell us a little bit about the book's um, story, even though um, Kendall is not here, but just going to give us a little bit of interest about the book? Absolutely.
0: So, Kendall Ann was, I mean, much like many individuals looking for her person, you know, and so dating sites and trying to meet different people. And the beginning did seem really promising. You know, and she goes through that in the book, exploring some of the things that we even talked about today with, you know, love bombing, which just to put this out there, love bombing is present in all relationships, mm-hmm. um, not just abusive ones. But the issue is that with love bombing, it's used mm-hmm. manipulatively when it's in an abusive relationship. It's almost in a way to kind of shield their true persona of who they are. I mean, we all want to put our best foot forward. I think it was Chris Rock had a funny bit where he's like, no one's themselves in the beginning of a relationship. They all <laughs> positive. I'm, I remember hearing him say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of that. I mean, that's a natural, but, you know, she brings us through what happens as the relationship ramps up very quickly, which is also a red flag in an abusive relationship. Um, and, Just essentially, she experienced every single form of abuse that you could find in the pie uh, that we also share in our book. Um, The first half of the book is more so geared towards her story of what happened when she was in, her harrowing story of how she got out and how she was saved miraculously, which you'll have to read the book to see what happened. Yeah. And then the second half of the book, we dedicate to now that you're out what do you do? Like, how do you thrive? How do you, um, you know, how do you find your joy again? How do you trust people again? How do you trust yourself? How do you know what you like, what you don't like? Because you can tend to lose some of your, even just your individual thought process when you're walking yeah. on shells all the time. Um, and you know, one of my favorite parts of the book, however, is that it, it, definitely does not place blame on the survivor. It places blame where blame should be placed, which are on the masterful tactics that abusers use. And it's not just for survivors either. I mean, someone who is supporting a loved one who's in an abusive relationship could benefit from reading it. A clinician or a helping professional who is working with those who are in these kind of relationships can benefit. So it's, it's pretty wide reaching. I, I was once asked, who is it appropriate for? And I said, pretty much anyone other than children.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not
0: a children's book.
1: <laughs> so um, you mentioned that it um, in some of the readings that I, uh, about how the, what am I trying to say? Trauma <laughs> in the body, how it can kind of now go deeper into the physical. Can you explain what you mean by that?
0: Well, so we have this experience. It's interoception. It's the ability for your body to know things such as when you're hungry, when you're thirsty, when you're tired, when you're sad, when you're happy. I mean, it just is this incredibly sophisticated inner system. And when you experience abuse, the interoception gets disrupted. And so it can be really hard to stay connected to your body. And that can start to portray in trauma responses. You know, I had a, a client who had experienced chronic um, complex trauma in her childhood. She came in a couple sessions ago saying that there was some potential um, unease with finances for her and she was waiting for the rug to be ripped out from under her. Cognitively, she knew everything was going to be okay. She said in session, but physically her body wouldn't match. You know, her heart was still racing. She was still getting headaches. She couldn't sleep. So you can be telling yourself something, but I think it's, you know, 80% of what we experience comes from our body up. Only 20% comes from the brain down.
1: Oh, wow. Mm -hmm.
0: So when you start to give more credence to how powerful our body is, I mean, you can even look at, have you ever heard of power posing?
1: No, let's. it's okay.
0: oh, cool. It's so cool. Um, I want to say it's Amy Cuddy I hope okay. I'm quoting, um, or McGillica. There's so, <laughs> there's so many <interesting. laughs> I love, but, um, it's this really neat study that was done on what happens to our body when we hold it in like a powerful pose, like either hands on your hips or leaning forward, just a, a position of authority that it actually sends hormonal signals to your body to increase things like testosterone, endorphins, and um, reduces things that would cause stress. So much so that in the study, they had these folks do mock interviews. The interviewers would score them and say, who would they hire? Who would they not? And then they would test the um, stress hormones of the participants and they found that those who power posed, generally i want to say they had them hold it for about two minutes one to two minutes those folks it might have been more but those folks outperformed far outperformed those who pulled kind of yeah poses
1: wow so
0: your bodies tell us things all the time you know so we just have to give a lot of attention to that and any trauma therapist ever has probably said that their favorite book regarding this, uh, Body Keeps the Score by of Kolk, is just, it's paramount in learning more about this.
1: Well, fa- fantastic. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's why you were talking about yoga and just the different poses help to work out the trauma in your body. Right. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people, I You tell me, but I would assume that a lot of people's first responses that they're not in the right situation or something's not resonating with them is through anxiety or panic attacks, you know, almost like something's not right. You know what I mean? it's just start to like, you're just having a response to that person Mm -hmm. and whether you clam up or yell or what, but physically I feel like that's really a good receptor for your body to say something's not right. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that's a very common, um, complaint that someone would come in for. Uh, interestingly, I do find that some people who may not realize that they're in an abusive relationship because maybe they don't believe things like coercion and power of control and emotional abuse are warranted as abuse because of the old story regarding physical and sexual abuse or just hardcore verbal abuse. Um, a lot of them do come in about medical complaints. you know mm-hmm. even though I'm not I'm, uh, I'm a doctor of philosophy but I'm not a, a medical doctor, um, they'll come in for things like upset stomach, chronic headaches, insomnia and you know so they're thinking it's connected to what you're saying, the anxiety and they're not realizing their body is literally having symptoms from stress related to the trauma of their relationship.
1: Yeah, and the cortisol just kind of starts to go crazy. And then, um, yeah, like you said, you can't sleep. And mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. let's just again, I want a quiet voice. I was just thinking about all the people experiencing abuse right now. Um, pick up this book from Dr. Uh, Kelly and um, her co author. Um, Kendall Ann Combs. And, you know, what a harrowing little story. I can't wait to read it and see how she came through on the other end and kind of the processes she went through to recognize and meeting you. How, what an amazing cathartic thing. You know, I just, I really love these kind of stories, how people come together. Like you said, it was serendipitous Mm -hmm. and you get to have this expression and help her through in a deeper way and help other people. And using it to benefit, so mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Is there anything that um, you'd love to end on, kind of a note to people that might be going through some of this? I think one thing that we
0: did not bring up was the power of your breath, mm. and we explore that a lot in the book. Uh, we explore how you know breath can't happen in the past; it can't happen in the future. It's just right now. Yeah. So for anyone listening, I would take a moment to take a really nice deep breath in and really focus on the exhale. The exhale is where our body lets go. It's where our nervous system regulates. And just honor that, you know, and come back to that as much as you can.
1: And, you know, being in the medical profession and going through COVID, and I'm sure you really got quite busy um, with people that, yeah, you know, I wanted to send out a warm thank you for your, it, it, it's not easy. And and that has to be recognized because the healthcare system and everybody in it is, is really struggling. Mm-hmm. It's real. Um, right. They're working a lot of hours. They're taking on way more people than they normally would. Um, so wow. mm-hmm. a huge thank you to you and all your colleagues mm-hmm. and your co-author mm-hmm. and- Mm -hmm. for putting that out there. And so, and sending good vibes to anybody who might be in this situation and hopefully they can pick up their book and, you know, find a source of support.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for having me today. It was wonderful talking with you.
1: Thank you, Dr. Kelly. This is Gina Cavalier and the Liberated Healer, and we will link everything below so you can find it. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at theliberatedhealer.com, on Instagram at Liberated Healer Podcast, or on Facebook at The Liberated Healer.
0: Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel, and thank you for your support.